0: following messages from North Place Church. For more information about North Place Church, visit northplacechurch.com. Let me just begin today by just expressing a great degree of thanks and appreciation for the hard work that all of you put into the Easter weekend celebration. Our staff, and I can't say enough about our paid staff, our administrative team and our pastoral team that worked tirelessly in the weeks leading up to Easter weekend and then All of our volunteer teams from our parking and greeter teams to the service host and VIP teams, the hospitality folks, the children's ministry and nursery teams, the prayer teams, the platform ministry teams, the follow-up and hospitality, our hospitality team that follows up with phone calls and letters normally have busy weeks, but last week was a really busy week because every first-time guest is touched at least six times in the course of the next few days after that service. And I just want to say uh, an amazing thank you to all the preparation, all the follow-up, all of the hard work, and all the rest of us who invested and invited. I want to thank you. The stories of people whose lives were touched because somebody thought enough about them to give them a bucket, uh, the stories that we're receiving from that have been amazing. And when you look at the surveys of how people came 95% plus of the people that were here last weekend for the first time came because of a personal invitation, and a lot of those because of a bucket. And that's proof of your devotion to the Lord, your love for His Word, and the trust that you have placed in this church. The fact that you were willing to bring your friends and family communicates trust. And based on the survey responses, many of those people who joined us last weekend were touched by the power of the resurrection, and our continued prayer is that their spiritual growth develops. I I don't want you to overlook either, please make a mental note of this, that there is no coincidence in the fact that we had the impact uh, that we did last week in people's lives and, and the number of people gathered here and heard the gospel. I really believe that our early morning prayer sessions on Thursday and then on Good Friday leading up to Easter weekend played a significant role in the favor and the blessings of God upon our Easter weekend worship experience because prayer changes things. We worked like it was up to us and we prayed like it was up to God and God blessed both our working and our praying and to Him deserve, Him goes all the glory, the honor, and the praise. Last week, um, we started a conversation about the centrality of the resurrection in the Christian faith. And I repetitively stated throughout the message that the resurrection is the key to everything. That the resurrection validates the words in the life of Jesus. The resurrection validates the entire story of God. And if the resurrection is true, then it's all true. And if the resurrection isn't true, then the whole message of Christianity comes unraveled. And if you weren't here last week and you would like to delve into that, I encourage you to go back and listen. You can go back and listen to any of our past messages on our church website. They're there. They're free of charge for you as a resource for your spiritual growth. Just go to northplacechurch.com. There's a resources tab that will drop down a menu, hit sermons. The most recent ones will come up first, but you can scroll through them. Today, I want to continue the conversation showing how the resurrection of Jesus impacts our lives in the 21st century, not just in a supernatural way, but in a very practical way. And to start that conversation, I want you to join me in John, the Gospel of John, chapter 20. Here's what the Word says. Later on that day, verse 19, the disciples had gathered together, but fearful of the Jews had locked all the doors in the house. Jesus entered, stood among them, and said, Peace to you. Then he showed them his hands and sighed. The disciples seeing the master with their own eyes were exuberant. Jesus repeated his greeting, Peace to you. Just as the Father sent me, I send you. To get the full ramification of what is happening in these verses, you have to understand the setting, Okay. This is Easter Sunday evening. So Jesus has just risen from the dead that morning. And now that evening, he appears to his disciples supernaturally behind the doors that they have locked. Jesus is alive. And we know from what we read in the previous verse, verse 18, that the disciples had been made aware... That the tomb is empty and that Jesus is alive. Matter of fact, verse 18 Mary Magdalene went telling the news to the disciples, I saw the Master. And she told them everything he said to her. Mary is talking about seeing the resurrected Jesus, and she reports all that news. To the disciples. So they've heard the reports of the risen Savior, but somehow they've not allowed the truth of the resurrection, they've not allowed that news to impact this very practical moment of their lives. They are afraid. And I want to talk to you for the next few moments about fear. I want to look at the damage that fear can cause in our lives, but I also want to look at the difference the power of the resurrection makes in addressing the fears that we face. But before we jump into a discussion on fear, I want us to grab four quick takeaways out of the verses we read from the Gospel of John that we're going to develop more as we move forward. Number one, the resurrection has already occurred. But these guys are living in bondage as if it had never happened. Like so many of us, they were living with less than what was available to them. The verse that you read said they were locked behind the doors because they were afraid of the Jews. But in plain English, what they were really afraid of is that the people that had crucified Jesus and killed him were going to kill them too. There was this assumption that there was a manhunt now by the Jews for them and they were going to lose their life. Because of their a close association to Jesus. But at the same time, this is the group of men who had been under the tutelage of Jesus for the last several years. And if there was anybody at that moment that ought to know the power that the resurrection was going to make available to them, it ought have been these guys. But as fear always does, it trumps rationale. When the emotion of fear takes over... Emotion, not rationale, drives our decision making. In other words, when you are plagued with fear, you become irrational. Now, I can tell you, you know how irrational fear is because in the moment when you're afraid, nothing at all is funny in that moment. But when you step away from that moment and you look back on it, you laugh at what you are afraid of because you see how irrational that fear is. That's the reason when people scare you, you get mad and they laugh because it's not funny to you, but it's completely irrational to them and they see how humorous it is. For example, some of those irrational moments in my life driven by fear, I can remember when I used to take off running and jump four feet out before I ever got to my bed because I had this idea something bad lived under my bed Uh, and I would run and I would jump in the dark turn the lights out and try to beat the darkness and jump over whatever might be in lurking underneath my bed Uh, that was last night Haley thought it was kind of strange I'm just kidding it was a little further back than that But I had this idea um, that I never would sleep with my arm hanging over the side of the bed or my leg because I didn't want to be yanked under the bed with whatever was under there. And and that was a long time ago. But even to this day, if I fall asleep in my arm and I wake up, I yank my arm back even to this day. um, It's irrational fear makes us do some very irrational things. Here's a second takeaway from those verses. The doors were locked from the inside. Much of what keeps us paralyzed, as it relates to fear, is self-imposed. Notice verse 19. The disciples had gathered together, but fearful of the Jews had locked all the doors in the house. No one sealed these men in. They locked the doors themselves. They were in a prison of their own making. This is exactly what fear does. It imprisons our life's potential, keeping us trapped behind the doors that we've shut, behind the doors that we've locked. It's a self-imposed paralysis. Now these next two takeaways are, are where the hope comes in, the optimism, the grace comes in when we're facing fear in our life. Here's a takeaway. Fear did not disqualify them. Notice this. Jesus graciously reveals himself to them behind the locked doors. He goes where they are, reveals himself to them behind the locked doors, and then sends them out to do his work. Fear did not disqualify them. He said in verse 21, Peace to you, just as the Father sent me, I send you. If you're imprisoned by some kind of fear today, trapped behind one of these doors, we were going to put labels on them, but we thought the labels would become too narrow because the fears that you could be trapped behind the day are more numerous than our imagination. But if you're imprisoned by fear, trapped behind one of these doors, maybe a door you've locked, a prison you've created of your own making. You need to know that he hasn't given up on you and he can still appear behind those locked and closed doors. He still loves you and he's still willing to use you for his glory, just like he was these men. Number four, when facing fear, the difference between paralysis and power is resolve. Something changed on the inside of these men who were imprisoned by fear. Two weeks ago, we looked in detail at how every one of them became martyrs. Every one of the men that were in this room became martyrs for their faith in Christ. So they've gone from cowards, imprisoned behind the the doors that they've locked, imprisoned with fear, to becoming men who boldly declared their faith through their deaths. Something happened. Witnessing the resurrected Jesus... And settling that issue in their hearts, knowing that if He has power over death, then He has power over every fear that has imprisoned them. This resurrection truth, the resurrection reality, gave them resolve. And they determined in their hearts to move from paralysis to power. Now this wasn't the last time they were ever going to be afraid. I would imagine when the Apostle Peter was being placed on a cross that he was going to be nailed to and hung upside down, there was terror and fear that gripped his heart. I imagine that as the Apostle John was being drugged to a boiling vat of oil that he was about to be dropped into, there was legitimate fear. But the resolve created in their heart by the truth of the resurrection, empowered them to face whatever they were afraid of with a faith that the cause they were dying for was greater than what they were afraid of. Listen to what President, former President Franklin Roosevelt said. Courage is not the absence of fear, but rather the assessment that something else is more important than fear. In the case of the disciples, the message of the gospel, their faith in Jesus, all validated by the empty tomb, was more important to them than the fear of pain and the fear of death. In other words, real bravery is doing it afraid. Let me clarify something. When you read the Bible and do a study on fear, it could seem that the Bible says in one place that fear is a bad thing and another place that fear is a good thing. For example, if you read these two verses, I'm going to show you two. In one instance, fear is used in a negative way. In another instance, fear is used in a positive way. And let's look at them. First Timothy 1.7 For God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity. So this is a negative use. God didn't give this to us. But he's given us power, love, and self-discipline. But now let me show you a verse from the Proverbs that puts fear in a negative light. Fear in a positive light, fear of the Lord is the foundation of wisdom. So in the second reference, fear is a positive thing. In the first reference, fear was a negative thing. Obviously, there are different kinds of fear, and the Bible addresses all of them. Sometimes fear is a good thing. Sometimes fear is a bad thing. And how are we supposed to know the difference? Some negative fear is caused by negative experiences in our past. For example, there are adults today whose emotional maturity was stunted by an insensitive teacher in grade school who embarrassed them repetitively and called them out and made them an example. And because of that experience, they are still unwilling to put themselves out there. They have disciplined themselves to remain withdrawn And they don't take chances socially or in public because of that negative experience of their past. There was a fear that affects their relationships, their jobs, and their personality to this day. Others have been wounded by their parents, whether it's the constant negativity or in some cases constant hostility, maybe even violence. There are wives who cower every time a drunk husband stumbles through the front door. Those are legitimate fears. And then there are irrational fears, phobias that no amount of reasoning seems to help. The fear of flying or fear of crowds, fear of heights, fear of germs, fear of hospitals. There are tons and tons of phobias and we make fun of them, we tell jokes about them, we laugh them. But phobias out of control can stunt our spiritual growth because we cannot be spiritually mature unless we are emotionally mature. But all fear is not bad. There is a kind of fear that God gave us to benefit us. He built in us the emotional response of fear in the same way he put in us the emotional ability to love. Suppose you're walking through the woods tomorrow and you run up on a large bear. The normal person does not just think, oh, let me go over and pet the bear, okay? I say normal person because I watch the news and there are fewer and fewer normal people on our planet every day. But the normal person does not say, let me go pet the bear. There is a fright and flight mechanism that God built into us as a matter of survival. It's a physiological response. Our heart rate increases. There is an adrenaline rush that enables us to run faster, climb higher, lift more, react quicker than we would in normal situations. God wired us this way as a survival mechanism in the face of danger. Normal, healthy fear serves us well. When our, We talk to our children about strangers and not to interact with strangers. And when we talk to them, we're instilling in them an honest awareness, an honest fear to protect them from the evil intentions of perverse people. We lock our doors at night and we install security systems in our homes Because we live in a fallen world and we know the potential of evil people in a fallen world. And it's an honest awareness, an honest fear to protect our families and our lives. These kinds of fears are realistic responses to living in a fallen, sinful world. We cannot control evil people. We can't control the storms that nature brings our way. And so there is a response, a fear that is a gift to us that God instilled in us for our benefit. But God wants fear to protect us, not imprison us. Fear is a part of our Creator's loving provision, and sensible fear will protect you. But uncontrolled fear can lock us into an emotional prison and stunt our personal and spiritual growth. Unrestrained fear will darken your life, and it will negatively color everything we do. Listen to what we read a moment ago. Now listen to the depth of meaning. 1 Timothy 1.7, Paul told Timothy, God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline. If God is not the author of fear, and we know that He loves us perfectly, then why are we still afraid? How can we be freed from the paralysis that fear generates? Let me explain that. The good fear the Bible talks about is the antidote to the bad fear that imprisons us. Let me say that again because this is where we're going to spend a lot of our time. The good fear that the Bible talks about is the antidote to the bad fear that imprisons us. The fear that frees us is called the fear of the Lord. When we talk about the fear of the Lord and it's referenced multiple times in the Bible, the fear of the Lord, the fear of the Lord, we read it a moment ago. When we we talk about the fear of the Lord, it means an awe, not, not that I'm afraid of God, but there is an awe of God, a reverence of God, a respect for God, an attitude towards God that is accompanied by my obedience because I understand Him as sovereign and control and the authority of my life. Again, Proverbs 9, 10, fear of the Lord is the foundation of wisdom. Because the fear of the Lord is an awareness of God's sovereignty, an awareness of God's control, awareness that God can be trusted with our fears, our phobias, our anxieties, our insecurities, or any of those things that imprison our lives. You've heard the phrase, and we use it in our speech, fight fire with fire. And most of the time when we use that phrase, we're referring to giving somebody a taste of their own medicine. I'm going to fight fire with fire. But it's more than a cliche expressing giving somebody their own medicine. It is actually a way that professional firefighters fight brush fires and grass fires and even oil fires around oil rigs here in Texas. It is a legitimate way a controlled and intentionally set controlled fire or a backfire will protect property and serve to put out the bad uncontrolled fire. A fire needs oxygen, fuel to be able to burn. If it's a grass fire, it needs underbrush, it needs pine needles, leaves, vegetation. So if firefighters go to where the fire is headed and they set a backfire and make it go back towards the existing fire, that controlled burn or that backfire robs the out-of-control fire of its fuel and it sucks the life out of the out-of-control fire. In the same way, in an oil well, when there is an oil well fire, firefighters have been known to drop a little dynamite into the well because the explosion of that dynamite will pull the oxygen out of the air and removing the oxygen snaps the life out of the out-of-control fire in that well. Fight fire with fire. In the same way, the fear of the Lord helps us fight fear with fear. This awe of God, this awareness of the empty tomb, this respect for what the resurrection makes available to us, this fear of the Lord is the power that snuffs the life out of the irrational and out of control fears, anxieties, paranoias, and insecurities that control our lives. The best way to beat these things is to fight fear with fear. The fear of the Lord against the irrational fears that imprison your life. This is the very reason why the Apostle John would write these words, First John 4, 18. Such love has no fear because perfect love expels all fear. If you read the earlier verses ahead of verse 18, this love, he says such love, he's referring to a confident love. A love in God that is a confident and secure love, a God who is in control, a God who has authority over our lives. And that kind of love, that love that is based in the awe and respect and reverence of God, this fear of God, this kind of love, expels all other fear. Fear is always going to be a part of living It's always going to be a part of living our life. But there is a difference between fear and fearfulness. It's the constant state of living in fearfulness that negatively impacts our life. And knowing Christ in the power of His resurrection can free us from living in a constant state of fearfulness. A lot of Christians have a misconception that if we're living to please God, nothing is ever going to touch our lives that make us afraid. And then they will naively say, right, because doesn't God want me to be happy? Well, that answer is a mixed bag. But personal, just to, to put it plainly, personal happiness is not what God has promised you. Okay, I've had a lot of people look me in the eye when I challenge them on some act of moral disobedience, something in their life that is directly contradicting what is written in the Bible, and they say, well, I know what the Bible says, I know what you preach, but we're going to keep doing this because doesn't God want me to be happy? No, God wants you to be obedient. And often doing the right thing is not the easy thing. And doing the right thing is not the comfortable thing. And doing the right thing is not always going to make you the happiest in the moment. God promises you to give you joy, which is not the same thing as your personal happiness. He promises you when your life is founded on Him and there's maturity, no matter what you're going through, there's going to be a supernatural joy that is a part of your life even when doing the right thing thing is inconvenient for you at the moment, there will be a joy in that process. He never guarantees that walking in His will will not lead us through circumstances that cause stress and pain and sometimes forces us to face fear. In fact, Difficult situations that we are led into are the very things that keep us dependent upon Him. So we learn to live in the fear of God instead of living in the fear of man. He uses those experiences in our life to teach us to be dependent upon Him. There's a direct connection when it comes to fear. There's a direct connection between God's presence and the absence of fear. When Jesus supernaturally appeared behind the locked doors, the self-imposed prison the disciples had placed themselves in, his presence snuffed the life out of the fears that had paralyzed these men, men who would ultimately change the world as we know it. They went from being immobilized by fear to being energized by faith simply because of the presence and the peace of the Lord Jesus Christ. When we put things in our life that imprison us under His authority, those things lose their power to terrorize us. We have to remind ourselves that everything that touches us is first filtered through the wisdom of God. Nothing, if you live in the fear of the Lord, you know nothing is going to touch you that has first not, that has not first touched Him. In other words, it's got to go through Him in order to get to you. And even though it's hard, and even though you don't understand it, like Job, in Job's situation, Job was able able to deal with the fear in his life and the pain in his life because he realized God is sovereign, God is in control of my life, and nothing's going to get to me that hasn't first touched God. We can trust Him for strength and the protection that we need. Now, there are people that are listening to this today who have mentally moved on to your scheduled lunch plans because you're sitting here being kind to me and the rest of us today while I'll deal with the weaker ones among us who battle anxiety, insecurity, and fear because this topic is totally irrelevant to you because you're not really afraid of anything. I want to have uh, permission, and even if I don't, to pop your bubble today. You you may not be controlled by panic attacks, you may not be paralyzed by anxiety, but I can promise you there is some imprisoned area of your life by fear. You may not call it fear, you may label it something else, you may be unaware of it, you may not talk about it, but underneath whatever label you stick on it, there is some area of your life that you're afraid of. Fear has imprisoned you. The arrogance and conceit that you label as confidence is a cover for your own insecurity. And the more insecure you're feeling that day, the more off-putting your arrogance becomes. Because it is a mask to cover for whatever you're afraid of. And if that person is not you, you probably work with them. You know that person who covers their insecurity with their conceit and their arrogance. Now they'll say it's confidence, and we know the difference between confidence and conceit. And when confidence, genuine Christ identity that breeds healthy confidence, is what we walk in, that's good. But when confidence moves to conceit and arrogance, it is a cover for an insecurity. Something on the inside of us that we're afraid of. You say that you're not afraid of anything, but you have a drivenness to control everything and everyone in your life. And your passion and need for control stems from a fear and insecurity that is deeply seated in your life. If you can't sit in the back and you always have to drive and you always have to pick up the tab and you always have to be the one to make the decisions or whatever, it could go on and on and on. You control everything and everyone in your life because you are afraid of something. Your passion and need for control is a mask for some kind of fear in your life. You procrastinate because you're afraid of failure. Or you're afraid of whatever making the decision or doing the deed. You're afraid of the repercussions that might cause. And when you procrastinate, ultimately there is a fear behind that procrastination that immobilizes you. Some of us in this room are workaholics because we're afraid. We work our fingers to the nub because we're afraid of returning to the poverty of our childhood Or we're afraid of our children having to live what we lived through growing up. From that fear drives us to the place where we are unhealthy physically, emotionally. And that fear that is driving us to burn the candle at both ends as a workaholic is taking a toll on our relationships. Call it what you will, wear it as a badge of honor. But when you peel the layers back, ultimately you're driven because you're afraid. You don't open up and connect relationally. I'm not afraid of anything. Well, the fact that you want to open up and connect relationally is a a sign, a proof that you're afraid. Every relationship in your life is about this deep. It's surface. They never go beyond the surface level into intimate, meaningful depth in the relationships because you're afraid if you let people in, what they might find out And that fear keeps people at an arm's length and holds them at a distance. I was in a conversation not long ago with a man's man. And the conversation went beyond the surface that he usually keeps conversations in relationships. And it took a path into intimacy, an uncomfortable place that he did not want to be. And as was I had noted in his activity when, when things became intimate, when they became substance, he would crack a joke in order to lighten the mood and try to turn the conversation a different way. And this day, I was so fed up because he would tell you he's not afraid of anything. And I wanted to call him out on that moment. And when, when he cracked that joke, I said, "Stop! I'm not going to laugh. It was funny, but I'm not going to laugh. Okay? Because I know what you're doing. This conversation is headed to a place you don't want to go. You're big, you're bad, you're a man's man. But you can keep that persona as long as it never goes Here And so every time in the relationship with your spouse, every time in the relationship with other guys, you avoid uh, accountability, you avoid substance and depth in conversation, you avoid intimacy because you're afraid of what might happen, of what people might find out if you go there and you drop these bombs, these things that you think are humor in order to divert the conversation. Call it what you will, but I'm calling you out. You're afraid. You're afraid of accountability. You're afraid of intimacy. Some of us in this room are angry, irritable, and bitter. And those things are simply masks that cover our willingness to be perceived as weak, embarrassed, or ashamed. Lurking beneath your bad attitude is something you're afraid of that is causing that irritability that anger, that bitterness. We're all going to sit in here and say, I'm not afraid. This is for the weak people that have panic attacks or anxiety attacks. No, those people need this message. But every one of us in this room today have some area of our life that are imprisoned by fear. And there is nothing weak about dealing with anxiety. It's labeled that way in our culture. There's nothing weak about dealing with oppression. It's our body's response to something that is happening on the inside of us. And God has an answer to our fear of intimacy. He has an answer to our fear of substance and our relationship. He has an answer to all the things that plague us when it comes to paranoias and insecurities and fears and phobias. The good news is we don't have to live with them. Jesus is still breaking through the locked doors in our hearts As easily and as powerfully as he broke through the locked doors supernaturally in that room after the resurrection. The risen Christ comes to us just like he did to them. Our fears don't disqualify us. Because of the resurrection, there is new life and new hope. And he offers us that new life and that new hope made available by the power of the resurrection. But here's the most amazing thing. He entrusts us to offer, even in our frailty, that new life and that new hope. That power and that possibility, He allows us to share it with other people. He said, peace to you. Just as my Father sent me, I send you. When facing fear, I said this a moment ago, the difference between paralysis and power is resolved. Fear is an emotion, but trust is an act of the will. I'm going to trust Him no matter what I'm afraid of, no matter what reason I lock these doors and I stay here and I don't put myself out there. Whatever the reasons are, I'm going to shatter whatever keeps me imprisoned because I trust Him. Trust is an act of the will. That is part of your resolve. So let me ask you a few questions. Will you resolve in your heart That the resurrection proves God has the power to handle whatever fear you face. Will you resolve to walk in all that is made available to you through the empty tomb? Will you resolve that God is trustworthy even when you're afraid? Will you resolve that living for Christ is the more important cause and it, it is greater than whatever it is, whatever kind of fear imprisons you? And will you resolve to fight fear with fear? The fear of the Lord against the out-of-control fears in your life. Psalm 34, 4 says this, I prayed to the Lord, and He answered me. He freed me from all my fears. Those who look to Him for help will be radiant with joy. No shadow of shame will darken their faces. In my desperation, I prayed, and the Lord listened. He saved me from all my troubles. For the angel of the Lord is a guard who surrounds and defends all who fear him. Both concepts of fear. In verse number 4, it was the negative concept of fear, the out-of-control fear. I prayed to the Lord, and he answered me and freed me from all my fears. And then in verse 7, the angel of the Lord is a guard. He surrounds me and defends all who fear him fighting fear with fear. The angel of the Lord is encamped around those who fear him to protect them from the out-of-control fears in their life. I love the way the Apostle Paul, the message paraphrase of the Bible, sums up what resurrection life looks like, what it means to walk in the power of the resurrection. Listen to what is written in Romans 8.15. This resurrection life you receive from God is not a timid, grave-tending life. It's adventurously expectant. There are some of us in this room that have been Christ followers all our lives, but we've never understood the adventurously expectant life that is following Jesus Because we're trapped behind one of these doors, maybe multiple doors, whatever label you want to put on whatever fear that imprisons you. That is a timid, grave-tending life. But the resurrection power that you receive, this resurrection life that is available to you is an adventurously expectant life, not a timid, grave-tending life. And Jesus is the key to finding that freedom today. The resurrection can enable you to live that adventurously expectant life. I want to do something today that is different. Normally a pianist or a vocalist will come out and help set the atmosphere for me to close the service. And the prayer team will come and I'll pray a benediction. Prayer team's going to come in a moment. I'm going to pray a benediction. But I want you to just have 90 seconds, two minutes, to introspectively ask what is it I'm afraid of? What what things are masking a fear that I've labeled as something else that I need to be set free from because of resurrection power that is available for me today? One of the different things I want to do today is... I. There's a song that has been on repeat for the last several months on my playlist when I pray or when I'm studying or driving because it addresses uh, where I am in the Lord and I believe it addresses this moment. But the words of this song are not just lyrics today, they are prophetic, okay? I really believe they are prophetic for this moment. It's a song that is going to be brand new to some of you. It's a song that is on repeat on some of your playlists because it's become pretty common. It's No Longer Slaves. And the whole lyrics of those songs, it begins by saying, I'm no longer a slave to fear. But the, the, the short poetic verses, He unravels me. He surrounds me with the song, I'm no longer a slave to fear. The next verse says, In my mother's womb, you have formed me. I've been born into your family. I'm no longer a slave to fear because I am a child of God. As Bethel, the worship team, on this video, sings this song, I want you, I'm just going to let them sing through it. I'm not going to let them sing through the whole thing, but just 90 seconds, 120 seconds of it. And I want you to introspectively let the Holy Spirit speak to you about how you respond to what God's saying to us today in His Word. I think the lyrics are more than just lyrics today. I think they're prophetic. He wants you to be free. The tomb is empty so you can be free. Would you turn your heart inward today for a few moments? Again, I really believe it's a prophetic moment. You don't have to be imprisoned by whatever it is that imprisons you. You can be free today. Fight fear with fear. Whether you want to talk to somebody about your relationship with God or you want us to join you today in praying for you to be set free from whatever you're imprisoned behind. That the resurrection will empower you to do that today. Look, I have my own issues. The things that I deal with are very common for people. We just don't talk about them. You know, I have the issue of, um, I have a fear of not meeting people's expectations. I grew up with a father I couldn't please who walked out on our family. That I was living under the grandfather who took us in, was a godly man, loved me deeply. I loved him deeply, but he was not a very affectionate man. And so I spent my entire life attempting to earn the approval of people. And I thought if I met their expectations that I would earn their approval. And when you're in ministry and you got thousands of people that have all these expectations, you kill yourself living under that prison. Okay? And so when, when an expectation is not met, It wounds and it stings deeply. Used to a lot more than it does today. But in immaturity, I would overreact when an expectation was not met and I would defend myself. But as I've become more mature, I've learned to learn from our critics, even if they won't learn from me. That's how I stay smarter than my critics, is I learn from them when they refuse to learn from me. When you allow the Lord to begin to deliver you, free you, you understand I live for the majority of one, the approval of one, and there is a freedom that comes with that. We all have them. We just need the Holy Spirit to help set us free from them. These altars will be open. This environment will remain worshipful. Father, will you bless them and keep them? Will you let your face shine down upon them? Will you be gracious to them? Will you turn your countenance their direction today and give them peace? I pray real peace. The peace that you offered in that room that day when you said peace to you and it squelts the fears of the men in that room. I pray that kind of peace will come behind the locked doors of the self-imposed prisons in our lives today. Will you set us free from fear? In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you today. Thank you for listening to this message from North Place Church. Feel free to duplicate or to share this message. For more information about North Place Church, Visit northplacechurch.com.